Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We lost power last week. Okay, uh, we'll get to the sermon in a minute. Don't worry. Uh, so I lost power for 36 hours at our house. And, and ours was like the only little section of the city that lost power for that long. I felt like it was a vendetta, you know, like PG&E was out to get me. And we lost groceries, it was dark. And I, and I learned something, that there uh, are two different kinds of people when the power go out. And I have uh, one of each or a couple of each in my household. Uh, there are the optimists, uh, like Robin, who were, who were like, It'll be fine, guys. Let's, it's making an adventure. Let's pretend we're camping. We'll light, we'll light candles. We'll put on flashlights. It'll be fun. And then there's the rest of us, like myself and my daughter Livy, who are just angry and irritable for 36 hours straight, who hate camping and would never want to pretend to camp because we don't like doing it in our real life. Why would I want to do it in my pretend life? Where, where are those people at? Where are the like angry, irritable people? Okay. So we pick Livy up from school the second day. We're without power. And she's like, is power still out? And I'm like, yeah, power's still out. And she like, she has a moment. Like she just like, she, she, her blood starts to boil. And she's like, I hate PG&E. We need to switch to Verizon Wireless. That's, that's not, that's, it's, never mind. It's fine. I, I love naivete mixed with rage. It's a beautiful little cocktail. It's great. Uh, which is the perfect segue into the sermon content for this morning, because today we're starting a two-week sermon on the subjects of rage and revenge. You like that transition right there? Wasn't that beautiful? Uh, and, and that's not a joke. That is, in fact, what we're talking about today. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. So good to have you. Sorry for all the gang colors in the room. Um, but uh, it's a Norteño convention today, all right? It's awesome. <laughs> But uh, we are in the sixth week of our Seek First series, which is not just a series. It is, in fact, the theme of the Father's House in 2024. And as we explore this theme, we've been looking at a collection of teachings in the book of Matthew uh, called the Sermon on the Mount, some of Jesus's most famous teachings. And our key verse for this series and for the year is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. Such a fantastic promise in scripture right there. And we've unpacked a lot of stuff thus far. We started out with that verse and looked at what Jesus meant to, about seeking and uh, considered what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God as he tells us to do. Then we moved on into the introduction of the sermon, looked at the Beatitudes and discovered that there is in fact a blessing available even in the worst of life's circumstances. Uh, then we talked about persecution and learned that sometimes you need to learn how to run for your faith. And then last week, he's in the back of the room, but I'm gonna bust him out again. Our very own David Escobedo brought a phenomenal message on the subject of salt and light. Come on, let's honor him. That was an amazing message last weekend. So good. I, uh, I sat in the front row, and I'm just grateful. I'm so grateful that we've got some incredible teachers around here. Uh, he used a lot of big words. I understood some of them. Uh, but if you did not catch that message, please go back and listen to it. You'll be glad you did. Um, but as David reminded us last weekend, and as I've shared a number of times already in this series, we have officially arrived today at some of the really challenging statements Jesus makes in this sermon, some of the most confrontational things. As we move into the next couple of weeks, we're going to be discussing subjects like divorce and adultery and hatred and judgment and anger and, and, and revenge, as I mentioned a moment ago. Jesus is going to make some crazy statements like, love your enemies, 
Bless those who curse you. Forgive those who've offended you. Take extreme measures to avoid sin. And by the way, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Cool, 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 cool. Like some really easy stuff for us to do, right? But, but as I've reminded us of every single week in this series, the Bible's not a buffet. We don't get to pick and choose which scriptures we like and go, oh, I'll take the prosperity and I'll take the blessing and I'll take the healing, but then leave out the other half of the gospel, which is self-sacrifice and a call to holiness. These are equally as important. And if we're gonna be the kingdom people that Jesus has called us to be in our city, in our world, in our lifetime, then we need to embrace some of the uncomfortable teachings that scripture offers to us. So today we lean into that discomfort we buckle up buttercup and we listen to see what Jesus says about rage and anger. We'll save revenge for next week. It is Super Bowl Sunday. I don't want to beat us up too badly on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go to the text for this morning. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're also subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot while you're driving behind them on the freeway, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Sometimes you got to personalize the scriptures, right? You're like, oh, okay. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. <laughs> Encouraging sermon to say. Right. Challenging words, but there they sit in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So we got to talk about them this morning. Uh, I want to offer you a title. And it's a title that I believe the Holy Spirit will awaken in us before we conclude today. I want to call this chat Redeeming Rage. Redeeming Rage. I believe it's possible. I believe God's going to show us how to do it today. Redeeming Rage. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, Lord, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the obvious sense of you in the room. I love reading through the scriptures because as we watch the life of Jesus, we see that everywhere you went, there was healing. Everywhere you went, there was deliverance. You never showed up somewhere simply to give people a high five and send them back to the way things were. You arrived in cities and in spaces so that you could transform people's lives once and for all. And you're here today to do the same thing. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. May we have hearts to receive what you would want to give to each and every one of us. And may we leave this place changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we begin to wade into this subject of anger and rage, I want to first look at a, a phrase that Jesus uses here at the beginning of our text for today. And it's a phrase that we'll see repeated a number of times in the weeks to come as Jesus gets into some of this challenging content. Uh, the phrase goes something like this. You have heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, fill in the blank, but I say something different. Nine times in this particular, excuse me, seven times in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will use this pedagogical phrase, and he does so very intentionally as he addresses his audience. In fact, it would have been a very familiar phrase to the, the people listening to him speak this day. They, they were used to hearing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, kind of use this as an introduction to all of their sermons. It would not be uncommon for someone to stand up in the temple, open up one of the scrolls, and to say, you've heard it said, followed by a quote from the Torah or the Old Testament as they began to relay the scriptures to the people. And, and Jesus does just that. He says, you've heard it said, 
that you should not commit murder because if you do, you are subject to judgment. He, he quotes the scriptures. But what the people would have not expected is what came next. Never had a teacher stood up and followed up a statement with the holy scriptures, but I say. This, this was a, a complete and total challenge. This would have been a shock to the audience that day because for Jesus to use these three words, he asserts that his authority is of greater value than the law as they know it. For, for context's sake, this would be like a, a newly elected president standing up at their inaugural speech and saying, you've heard it said that here in America, everybody has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But I say, now that I'm in authority, all of that is about to change. How many know that would rustle some feathers? This is a monumental statement. We kind of glaze over it because we've seen it many times before in scripture, but this would have been shocking. In no uncertain terms, Jesus is saying, I know that you guys are used to things operating one way. It's been this way for centuries, but I'm not just here to affirm what you know. I'm here to reveal something new to you. Your old way of thinking and living, it is coming to an end and there is a new kingdom being ushered in. A kingdom that is not based, as the scriptures say, the law being written on the, on the tablets, but on the hearts of men is what I'm interested in. This is not about behavior modification. This is about heart transformation. And I'm here to usher in a new kingdom that's gonna transform you from the inside out. You may have heard it that way, but I'm here to tell you it's different than you think. And I think it's important that we understand the, the weight of those words, especially as we begin to discuss this subject of anger, because all of us, whether we realize it or not, we all have a, you've heard it said, woven into our beings. A, a, an old learned way of thinking and responding to anger that is probably not the kingdom way. Maybe your environment growing up, your, you've heard it said, the old way was to avoid anger altogether. Maybe you grew up in an environment where everybody just tried to keep the peace all the time and put on a smile and bottle it up and just, you know, don't say anything offensive. Just put a, put a smile on your face and grit your teeth if you have to a little bit and just pray to God that you don't explode. There's environments like that. Or maybe you grew up in the opposite environment, an environment where you just quickly gave vent to your anger. You were easily angered at all opportunities. If someone said something you didn't like or there was an, an offense, then you responded with rage. You told them what you thought, you belittled them, you gave voice to it immediately. Didn't matter how toxic the environments you found yourself in were. And if they weren't in person, then by all means, you need to tell them online or post it on social media because everybody needs to know how angry you truly are. Those environments exist. Or maybe the old way is a generational anger, a spirit that seems to exist in the household that's been passed down from mom, dad, grandparents. Some would go as far as to call it a generational curse, but whether you call it that or not, maybe sometimes even as you open up your mouth and you respond in anger, you can hear the voices of those who came before you in your own speech. I sound like my dad. I sound like my grandfather. I've heard these words before. I've felt that tension in the house before. Or maybe the old way for some is, is a violent or aggressive anger. When you get angry, you just feel like you gotta hit something or someone. In, in a healthy sense, you go to the gym and take it out on a punching bag or 
lift weights, but in an unhealthy sense, it, it can get pretty ugly. In, in my day, when I was younger, the way we dealt with it was we went to the rock show, got in a mosh pit, started beating the snot out of strangers. <laughs> You'd walk out 30 minutes later, bloody, bruised, disoriented, but man, you felt a little bit better in the moment, you know? <laughs> little, little, little rabbit trail. Robin and I were literally talking about this the other day. And we're like, you know what our, this like, generation needs? They need mosh pits. We need to bring back the rock show, all right? There's people so pent up and easily offended and vexed. They just need to go to a good old-fashioned rock show, get in a mosh pit, and start throwing some elbows. Like, I think that would help. Like, I grew up in the day of bands like Rage Against the Machine and, you know, Evanescence and, and Papa Roach and Limp Biscuit and, and Trapped and Puddle of Mud. Stupid band names. But, man, you go to their show... You get in that, that mosh pit and you just start swinging your arms like, ah, let some stuff out. Like if someone said something you didn't like, you didn't try to like out insta shame them. Oh, I'm going to get you on social media. Like I'll meet you in the mosh pit. Get you one step closer to the edge and I'm about to break. Like, that's how we did it back in the day. Bring the mosh pit back. That is my solution for this generation. Probably a really unhealthy one. Is that counselor? Is that? Okay. That is not the Lord's solution. Come on, lighten up, guys, all right? Everyone's just staring at me, judging me with it. Listen, you're Judgy McJudgerson, all right? I know you got some stuff going on, too. Jesus has a better way to deal with anger that doesn't involve beating the pulp out of strangers. In fact, he tells us that way here in the text, and so let's come back to the scriptures and not to the broken ways of your pastor, and let's look at what he has to say about how to deal with anger. I think in order to embrace his ways, we've got to understand this word. What, what does he mean when he says that if you are even angry with someone, that you are subject to judgment? Well, the word Jesus uses for anger here is the Greek word argizo, argizo, and it means to be provoked or aroused to anger to enrage. That's where we get the word from our title, to enrage. If you're looking for a more modern definition, I would offer the term triggered. That seems to be a popular one among the young people today. Everyone's triggered all the time. And I actually think that triggered is probably the most accurate definition for this word because triggered assumes that something was already there to begin with. It taps on a nerve. See, see Orgitsu is not this situational anger. Something happened and so I respond in rage. It's deeper than that. It, it deals with this inner dormant volcanic rage that is just waiting to be awakened on the inside. I love the way the theologian N.T. Wright uh, defines it. He uses the word smoldering. It's a good word, smoldering. Not like the, you know, model pose. Not like that. But like embers, coals that were once ignited, but now they're just sitting there dormant and glowing, waiting to be awakened again. Waiting for, for one of these. You guys know what this is? This is a bellow, yes. And this is used to breathe fresh life into a dormant fire. When, when a fire dies down and all that's left is the, the glowing embers, one blast of oxygen introduced back into the environment from this will ignite what once looked dormant. 
And Jesus says that anger works exactly the same way. This argizo works the exact same way. 99% of the time, everything can look good on the surface. You smile, you're kind, you say what you're supposed to say, but just one moment later, that thing that was just glowing on the inside of you, it now begins to erupt because it's been awakened. Without warning or permission, you are driven to rage. And I think we've all had a bellow moment in our lives before, probably more than one. It can happen in a myriad of different ways. Maybe the person gets the promotion or the blessing that you were hoping for, and then all of a sudden, that thing begins to awaken on the inside of you. Or you watch them do to somebody else what they did to you. Rage begins to well up on the inside. You catch them posting something that only promotes and celebrates the thing that you don't like about them. Or let's be honest, it can come simply just by hearing that person's name, even if it's not even the person standing in front of you. You just hear their name and you're like, <laughs> I was talking to one of our prayer people the other day. Uh, at the end of service a couple of weeks ago, they came forward to pray for folks as we do every single week. And someone came up to them and asked for prayer and they asked, hey, well, what's your name? And when the person responded, they gave a, a very uncommon name that just so happened to be the exact same name as the individual who abused them in very traumatic ways when they were a child. And they said, in that moment, something inside of me got awakened. And as I'm looking at this stranger asking for prayer, I can't help but see the person who traumatized me when I was younger. And it was like they had the audacity to ask me for prayer. And that's how rage can work. Without warning, those embers inside your heart just get ignited with the right bellow. And this is why Jesus makes such an extreme statement about rage. This is why he suggests that anger is tantamount to murder. What he's saying is, guys, there's some stuff in your heart that you don't realize is there. You think everything is fine. It looks like it can glaze over on the surface, but, but you have some some, some stuff buried on the inside of you that is waiting to be awakened to sin. The, the ingredients are already there. In the right environment, that thing will awaken on the inside of you. You'll find yourself doing things that you don't want to do because you never addressed the anger that was in your heart. And son, daughter, I'm not interested in just getting at the fruit of your life when it's too late and you already snapped. I wanna get to the root of the problem so that we can rewire the way you deal with your anger. So, what is the root? How do we get to the root of anger? Well, I actually think that Jesus gives us a bit of a clue in this text. Honestly, I've read this so many times before and I've probably just glazed over this section of it, but there's two words that stuck out to me this week as I studied, and I believe in these two words we see part of the secret to redeeming our rage. Look at what he says in verse 22 once again. He says, but I say, even if you are angry, repeat this after me, with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you are angry with someone, listen, anger in and of itself is not the problem. Jesus did not say, if you are angry, you're subject to judgment. He said, if you are angry with someone, 
you are subject to judgment. In other words, anger is not the problem. The object of your anger is the problem. And according to him, people are the wrong target for your anger. Which seems odd, right? You're like, oh, but it was people who did that. It was a someone who hurt me. Someone who offended me. Someone who took advantage of me. So, so, so I'm not allowed to be angry with the thing that caused the problem? What? But, but I think if we just slow down for a moment, consider carefully the words of Jesus here, I think we'll recognize that this is not some lofty call to avoidance. This idea of just, well, I, it's fine. Everything's fine. I'm going to be okay. I am rubber. You are glue. Anything you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Sticks and stones. Like, no, that's not what he's saying. I, I think if we just stop and... and, and tune our ear to the scriptures for a moment. Here's what we recognize. What Jesus is, is doing here is he's issuing an invitation to redirection. An invitation to see past the person and see the source of their sin. Are you hearing me? Let me remind us today, people are not the enemy. We do not wage war against flesh and blood enemies, but against spiritual principalities and powers in the present age. And the chief principality we are waging war against is the author of sin itself. The Bible calls him the father of lies, the accuser of the brethren. He, he is the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything good God wants to do in your life. And at the top of his hit list of destruction is relationships specifically the relationships in the body of Christ, the people sitting around you, the other brothers and sisters among you, because he knows if he can create a wedge of division between the brothers, he can destroy the testimony of the church to the world. What did Jesus say in John 17? Father, I pray that they, my disciples, would be one just as you and I are one. For if they are united, if they love one another, they will display to the broken world how much God loves them. But if I can divide them, if I can get them to hate each other, to talk negatively about one another, then I destroy the very testimony of God's love to a broken and hurting world. So when you harbor anger in your heart, it's not just about you and the other person. It is a tarnishing of the reputation of the bride of Christ to the earth. We are literally giving ground back over to the enemy that Jesus paid the price to secure. And so he would come to his bride today and shake us up a little bit and remind you, people are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And we need to point our weapons in the right direction, not at one another. Point your sword at the hater of your soul. Come on, where are you at 11 o'clock? The enemy is the one we should be pointing our, our visceral hatred at, not at other people. And if that feels too difficult for you to do, then may I remind you this morning that redirected rage is the only reason you can call yourself a child of the Most High God. It's because the Lord poured out his justified anger on his son at the cross so that he did not have to pour it out on you because of your sin. You deserve judgment and you deserve death, but by the grace of God and the cross of Jesus, you have received love and patience and kindness, the mercy of God, the grace of God. You can come boldly into the throne of grace and receive mercy because of what was done for you. Because he redirected his rage on his son. 
But now that you've received, he says, it's time to give. You, you don't get to hold that against people because I've freely given it to you. And so now I ask you to extend that grace even to those, especially those who get you one step closer to the edge and make you want to break. Maybe that should have been the title of this sermon today. But it's not. <laughs> Redeeming rages. And redirection is important. You do need to see past the person. We do need to focus our efforts on the right enemy. But that really doesn't teach us how to redeem this rage. What do I do with this thing on the inside of me? For that, we need to find some advice in another scripture. Uh, a writing from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. One of my favorite scriptures on the subject of anger because it reminds hot-blooded Italians like me that God has a purpose for our anger. Look at what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says in uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, be angry, same word, argizo, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, nor give ground to the devil. Isaac, let's keep that on the screen for just a moment. Look at that verse. What does he say? Be angry, but do not sin. In other words, there is a kind of anger that does not lead to sin. An anger that apparently God is okay with. Dare I say a kind of anger that is righteous in nature. And if that feels heretical to you, then I invite you to look at Jesus for proof. Yeah, he, he was kind and loving and gracious, but he also got triggered a couple times in scripture. There are a few times where he got angry. He was not always walking around with a baby lamb and a smile on his face like the paintings suggest. There were a few moments in your Bible where Jesus had to let some steam off. Remember Mark chapter three? The, the Pharisees are saying, you can't heal this guy. It's the Sabbath. It's the wrong day of the week to heal. And the Bible says that Jesus became indignant. That's a polite way of saying Jesus got triggered. Or remember Mark chapter 10? The, the kids are trying to make their way to Jesus. And all the adults are like, this is the distraction-free environment. All right, get the kids out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're meeting with Jesus in our kids' church right now, okay? Jesus is here. He's there. He's everywhere, okay? So, so, so we're good. But all the parents are like, this is an adult meeting. Keep the kids out. And Jesus gets frustrated. He says, no, 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 no. Let the, the children come. He had a few words to say. And of course, may we not forget Mark chapter 11, the famous scene where Jesus turns into Indiana Jones, fashions a whip and starts going crazy because people are trying to keep others out of the presence of God and the court of the Gentiles. And he starts flipping over some tables. Yet Jesus got angry a few times. Yet he proves to us that you can be angry and still not sin. And, and the fundamental difference between anger and rage that leads to sin and this righteous rage that we see in Jesus is found right here in this text. Look again at what it says. What, what is sinful anger? Well, don't give any ground to the devil. Sinful anger is anger that gives ground back to the enemy. Sinful anger is anger that gives birth to division and hatred and judgment. 
It's the kind of anger that, that gets in between people and, and causes people to divide and look side-eyed at someone else in church. Yeah, that's the sinful anger. But the righteous anger, the redeemed rage, he says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Translation, righteous rage is something that wells up on the inside of you that says, I am not willing to let another moment pass while this stands between us. I'm not willing to let another moment pass until I do something about what I've seen. I'm not letting the sun go down. The enemy's not getting another inch. I'm a fight for this. If, if I could put it in, in short note-taking form, I would say it like this. Redeemed rage inspires urgent action. Redeemed rage is something inside you that says, I gotta do something about this. Consider, consider Moses and Martin Luther King Jr. for a moment. Both of them were enraged about the exact same thing. The mistreatment of their people by the governing authorities. They hated what they saw. But Moses allowed his rage to lead to sin. When Moses saw one of the slave drivers mistreating another Jew, he killed the guy and buried him in the sand. He did the very thing that Jesus said we're not supposed to do here in Matthew chapter five. Also the very same thing that God told him not to do when he etched out those inconvenient 10 commandments with Moses on the side of a hill. I'm sure when he got to murder, he's like, ah, oh, snap. That's my bad. <laughs> I'm gonna go get that dude. <laughs> His anger drove him to sin. But Martin Luther King was angry about the exact same thing. And yet his rage drove him to different action. His rage became a catalyst for change. I'm not okay with what I'm seeing, but I'm gonna allow this rage to drive me to godly action. No, redeemed rage inspires urgent action. Which leads us to my favorite part of the sermon, the part where I ask you the annoying question, where we are forced to personalize everything so that we don't just leave this place getting a bunch of information, but we actually leave here inspired to do something with it. So let me ask you the all-important question today. What enrages you? What ticks you off? What chaps your head? What makes your blood, and not the petty stuff, not like, you know, slow drivers or loud neighbors. The fact that PG&E just raised their rates 40% and then turned off my power for a day and a half, not that kind of stuff. But like the stuff that like deep down, that ah, just makes you burn with fury. Let me offer you a couple of mine. I hate that we live in a day and age where there are more people caught in slavery and sex trafficking than at any, trafficking than at any other time in history. That people are abducted in record numbers, taken out of their homes and out of their cities and abused by strangers because of the perverse nature of our globe. I hate that. I, I hate that women and children are abused by men who feel that they can do it because they're stronger and bigger than they are. 
They can take out their anger on those that are physically smaller. I hate that. I hate the death of the innocent, especially the unborn, people who don't even have a voice that just get taken out. That makes my blood boil. I hate it when I see people who so desperately want freedom, but they are caught in the trap of addiction. No matter how hard they try, it's like the enemy just has this grip on them and will not let them loose. That infuriates me. When I see the enemy's tentacles, his claws, and the back of people that so desperately want to be free. I, I hate it when division enters into relationships, when seeds begin to take root and become bitterness, and they divide marriages and they divide friendships, when people buy into false narratives and lies that they've created in their mind because the enemy is working overtime to divide something that God brought together, I hate that with a passion. I hate it when I see single moms having to raise children by themselves because the father won't get his crap together, figure some stuff out how to become a mature man and deal with his kids. I hate that. I hate it when people abuse and prostitute the platform of the church of Jesus Christ, where they use it for their own agenda or their own self-promotion while they're living hypocritical lives behind the scenes, pretending and posturing themselves as righteous, but living in compromise when nobody else is looking. I can't stand that kind of stuff. That infuriates me. But what enrages you? Is it racism? Is it poverty? Is it injustice? Is it corruption? What gets you lit up on the inside? And as you consider that question, allow me to pose a follow-up. What are you doing about it? Are you just sitting there ticked? On your hands doing nothing? Or have you allowed God to redeem that rage and inspire you to action, to do something about the thing that you hate? Because God did not give you that rage simply so that you would just resign to leave things the way they are. Oh, it's someone else's problem. Someone else will fix it. No, he gave it to you because he wants you to do something about it. He doesn't want the church to just sit on their hands and wait for someone else to fix the problem. He gave us that anger. He gave us that discomfort because he wants to activate us and use it in our broken world. And when we do nothing, when we don't allow him to activate that anger and we just sit on our hands, we are just as broken and just as sinful as the people perpetrating the evil acts in our world. Here's an inconvenient scripture for you, James 4, 17. For him to, who knows to do what is right but does not do it, sins. Translation, inaction is just as sinful as evil actions. So what are you doing about that? And listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to like heap condemnation on people. Like I th church, I thought it'd be happier on Super Bowl Sunday. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Like you don't do anything for God. Condemnation is a horrible motivator for action. God never uses that to inspire action in his church. And I'm not going to try to do it myself. Furthermore, I am keenly aware of the fact when I ask that question, I'm posing it about situations that are far beyond our control. The magnitude of some of the things we're discussing today can seem daunting. Like, uh, what, I don't know, how am I going to do anything about that? I get that. But, but let me be clear. God is not suggesting that it is someone's responsibility to solve all the world's problems. 
He's not asking you to fix everything. That's a God job. Only he can deal with the evils and the injustices of our world. But while he's not asking anyone to do everything, he is asking everyone to do something. You may not be able to do everything, but everybody can do something. If sex trafficking is what gets your blood to boil, then let me give you a piece of advice. The one thing you could do is you can get free from pornography because what you might not realize is that 75% of the people you see on the other side of that screen are being abused and taken and used in the sex trade. And every time you click and every time you look, you are giving them permission to go find another person and put them in front of your screen. You can get in a group and get free. We got some of them around here at the house. You may not be able to solve everything and rescue everyone, but you could do something. If, if poverty infuriates you, then give to an organization that feeds the poor. Sponsor a kid in another nation. Put cash in your pocket and walk around the streets and hand it out to people who are in need. Serve at our pantry on Thursdays and give away groceries to hundreds of families that don't have them. Go with our team down to the Tenderloin on Saturday mornings and minister to those who are in poverty. You can't do everything, but you can do something. If kids being raised by single mothers or kids who don't have families, if that infuriates you, Man, then give to a pregnancy center. Get involved in foster care. Adopt a child. You can't do everything, but you can do something. If corruption at a government level infuriates you, run for office. I'll vote for you. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. I'll read your platform first. <laughs> no one can do everything, but we can all do something. And if nothing infuriates you, then get on your face and fast and pray and ask for God's heart because I guarantee there is a rage he wants to awaken on the inside of you that drives you to action so that your faith is not just about receiving, 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 but you are filled up so that you can be sent out to change the world you find yourself in. Everybody can do something. I love this quote from, from Andy Stanley. I don't know if we're allowed to quote him anymore uh, in light of some events, but this is too good to throw out baby with the bathwater. Look at what he says. He says, do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. You want to know what redeemed rage looks like? It's that right there. Do for one person what you wish you could do for everybody. I can't solve the world's problems, but I can do this for them. Could you imagine what the church would look like if we did that? And I'm not just talking about the Father's house. I'm talking about the Big C Church. Could you imagine if every person who was called upon the name of Jesus took upon themselves the responsibility to do for one person what they wish they could do for everybody else? If they allow God to redeem their rage at such a level that they were driven to action day to day to day, say, I'm going to do for one person today what I wish I could do for everybody. Could you imagine what our world would look like? tell you what it would look like. We would literally change the world one life at a time. And I do not think that that is a grandiose statement. That is not a preacher talk. If the two billion people who, people who claim to be Christians on the earth did that, we would change the world one life at a time. But that starts with a question. That action starts with us asking, what enrages me? What am I doing about it? And in just a moment, we're going to pray. I have three seconds left on the clock. 
So we'll, we'll pray. We'll pray that the Holy Spirit awakens that rage on the inside of us and channels it to make a change. But before I do that, let me tell you about one more thing that ticks me off. Clearly, a lot of things do. I have problems. But as the worship team comes and we prepare to close, but, but, but just one more thing that, that I can't stand. I hate it when people come to church and they're invited by a friend or they come in for the first time and they're so desperately looking for hope and healing and freedom and they're not offered that before they leave. Where church becomes just this religious experience where we check the box and talk in platitudes but never bring it back down to the simplicity of the gospel and give people a chance for eternal salvation. That's why every single week here at the Father's house before service concludes, there is a moment where those who are walking in death have an opportunity to receive eternal life. So I'm taking action on that thing that I don't like as we do every single week. And I'm gonna say this, looking in your eyes instead of with your heads bowed. If you're here today and you're far from Jesus, he's not angry at you. As I said earlier, God is not mad what you've done, your track record, your history, all of the justified wrath and punishment against sin was poured out on the sinless Savior at the cross. When the Father looks at you, He does not see your sin, He only sees His Son. And if you are here today and you are at a distance from Him, nothing makes Him more angry than seeing the enemy's grip on your life. And if you want there to be some action for that anger, give your life to Jesus today. It'll change everything. In fact, let's, let's do that right now. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to say a brief prayer of commitment. But as I do that, if you're here this morning and you're one of those who finds themselves at a distance from God and you know the Holy Spirit speaking to you to come close, and you want to be included in this prayer, would you just simply lift up your hand and look at me and say, Tim, that's me. I need to come home to Jesus today. Got you, bro. Yeah, thanks, man. Got you in the back. Cool. Got you. Thank you. Hallelujah. I'm patient. Anybody else? Three hours till kickoff. We can hold on. All right. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to all pray this together as a family with those making this decision. And I want you to, to pray loud so they don't feel alone. Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you and be your disciple. Forgive me of my sin and help me to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. Before we celebrate with all those, let's, let's pray this as well. You don't have to repeat after me, but just receive this. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that your church would be awakened to action in these days. If not now, when? If not who, or if not us, then who? We, we, we desperately need a living, breathing, salt and light church in our world. I pray that we would not be passive with the things that infuriate us, but Lord, that we would be driven at the deepest level. There's a word in the Greek, it's splotagachamai, it's a weird word, but it's what's, 
what it said Jesus felt when he looked on crowds. They were like sheep without a shepherd. It means to be moved to the center of one's being, to be driven from a place of, I can't just sit here, I gotta do something about this. God, drive us to that. We're not asking for a church full of activists, but we are asking for a church of active Christians. Those that have been driven to urgent action by the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Awaken that in us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with every single person who gave their life to Christ this morning. Come on, let's shout for those as they made that decision. Hallelujah. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.